This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to College Football Live, presented by Buffalo Wild Wings. The one thing the game always does is shows you very clearly where you are. Touchdown, Alabama. Major upset. Ohio State. Just like that. The Irish in a thrill. This is monumental for Georgia. You're either elite or you're not. And that's all we've been saying. This is why you came to Ohio State to play in big games like this. The whole nation will be watching. They never go exactly like you think. That's what these seasons are about. Toss out the brotherhood, this is war. And it can get ugly. It's a rivalry that you want to be a part of. That's why you come to college to play in games like this. It is a week two edition of College Football Live, and we're happy to have you with us. I'm Wendy Nix with Harry Lyles Jr. and Tom Luganville. Well, if you thought the ACC had a tough week one, guess what? The Pac-12 said, hold my beer. Needless to say, no better at all. We start with the Cardinal. They lost to Kansas State 24-7. It was their season opener. That makes it three straight losses by 18 or more points for Stanford against non-conference opponents. Well, then we head to West Lafayette, where Oregon State lost 31 to 20 to Purdue, making it five straight losses against Big Ten teams and four straight losses overall for the Beavers. From there, we head west. We go to Arizona, where Jed Fish lost his first game as the Wildcats head coach, falling 24 to 16 against BYU at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. They've now lost 13 straight, dating back to 2019. Washington State also lost their opener, losing 26-23 to Utah State. With the 2019 loss against Air Force, it's the first time the Cougars have lost consecutive games against non-conference opponents since 2016. The Cal Bears, they didn't have much luck either, losing 22-17 against Nevada. The Wolfpack have won two of their last three against Pac-12 opponents, having also beaten Oregon State in 2018. And arguably the biggest upset of the weekend, Washington's loss against Montana. They become just the fifth AP-ranked FBS team to lose to an FCS squad since the FBS and FCS split in 1978. The Pac-12 struggled. That's an understatement. Recording six non-conference losses on Saturday, tied for the most non-conference losses on a single day in the AP poll era. That started, by the way, in 1936. The bad news? Yeah, that wasn't it. Well, it doesn't get any easier. Up next for Oregon, that would be Ohio State. The Buckeyes happen to be 9-0 all-time against the Ducks. Oregon currently a 14-point underdog. And on deck for Washington, a trip to the big house. Week one wasn't pretty for the Huskies. While the defense was okay, you could even argue solid, they managed just seven points against FCS Montana. And that game was at home. Luke's work with me on this because the obvious answer is they have to win. Uh, but outside of that, what does the Pac-12 have to do in week two to make a statement and, and shake off whatever happened in their season openers? 
I think in some in some way, shape, or form, both Oregon and Washington have to find a way to win and maybe win in somewhat of a, con a convincing fashion. The challenge in all of this is you you don't just go into the matchup with your own expectations. You, you seem to carry the weight of the entire conference on your shoulders, and that's a heavy, heavy burden for both Washington and Oregon. And the reality is that nothing cures more woes than winning. That's it. If you win, you silence the critics, and that's what has to happen this weekend for the Pac-12 to regain some stability. Listen, C.J. Stroud got the job done, but, uh, you know, struggled a little bit. That's to be expected in your first game. But what do you want to see in week two so that he sort of uh, gets things on an even keel here? Well, I think the things with C.J. Stroud are coachable items. He had some big plays, had some things that went his way, four touchdown passes, three of them over 15-plus yards. But take a look right here. Look at his base. He climbs the pocket nicely, but then look at his feet. His feet are not where they need to be when he delivers the ball. Guess what? He's just slightly off. That's coachable. That's drillable. He'll start to do that and start to come up with some more air under that deep ball. Here he comes off a play option pass. Good base, working through his progressions, but he misses the guy in the flat. He gets greedy, tries to take the over route, fit it between two defenders, overthrows him when he could have just taken what the defense gives him. And then lastly, you're going to see a situation here in the red area where if he makes this play, Garrett Wilson across the middle on the drive route likely turns and runs in the end zone. What does he do? His shoulders aren't square to the line of scrimmage. He overthrows him. He's inaccurate. These are all areas that are coachable, and C.J. Stroud will continue to improve each and every week. Let's not forget, it's not as if there were 12, 13 games a year ago for Ohio State for C.J. Stroud to have 100 extra reps. He didn't have any of those reps. So I like the progress. He's got to start making the routine plays. Yeah, Tom, like you said, a lot of those things are coachable. And if you're Oregon, you have a one-game sample on this guy. Obviously, he's young, so that is also a benefit to you. One thing that did stand out to me from that last game that Oregon's probably looking at is he completed seven of his nine passes from the left side of the field for 204 yards and three touchdowns. He was much better on that side of the field than he was anywhere else. Obviously, Oregon does not know if they're going to have Cade Bon Thibodeau on the field on Saturday. So you might see them try to force him outside of his left early on in that game, but it's still something that you don't know that they're going to necessarily force the issue on because it is so early in the season. But if you're Oregon, there's a little bit of a worry here because you are still playing Ohio State, and you know Oregon was a popular upset pick last week. So a little, little shaky going into the week here, but they definitely have a shot. Uh, they, they certainly were, are a little shaky, and I think you make a good point, Luke. Not only are C.J. Stroud's issues coachable, but they're indicative of a young quarterback, and you, yep. you usually see some of that even out, you know, as he gets a, a bigger sample size under his belt. When we look back at Washington again, if you think you had a tough weekend, chances are it wasn't as difficult as theirs. They became the fifth AP-ranked team to lose to an FCS opponent since, again, the split in 1978. Of the four previous teams to do so, though, the good news here, three of them went on to bounce back and win their next game. Head coach Jimmy Lake, though, not making any excuses at all against what happened at home against Montana. I feel so bad for our fans and for our supporters, and they should be disappointed. They should be pissed, just like we are. And all we can do now is move forward here and make amends. 
Harry, we've already made the point that they've really got to win this game. So uh, if that's the case, Washington wins if, fill in the blank. Washington wins if, and this is going to sound simple, but if they do the things that they do well, well. Great offensive line play. That's what we expected out of them coming into this year. They're going to be able to run the football, and they're going to play great defense, right? Jimmy Lake has a track record of producing NFL-quality defensive backs, and he's going to have to see that out of his guys on Saturday. Otherwise, it is going to be another long day for them. They're obviously capable of doing that. They have NFL talent on the roster right now. They did not show it last Saturday and be, were able to bully their way out of an FCS game. Can they do it against Michigan? We'll see. Well, I tell you, Washington's embarrassed. They're like a snake backed into a corner. But I think Jimmy Lake's got to take a long look at the quarterback position. And I know it's Wednesday today, but I got to imagine that freshman Sam Heward has taken a ton of reps. I think Dylan Morris, if he gets the start against Michigan, will have an extremely short leash. You cannot be as risky with the football and as careless with the football and hope to win at home, let alone on the road. So I will be surprised if we don't see some Sam Heward at quarterback and see an awfully angry Washington football team on the road. Luke, speaking of quarterbacks, has Michigan finally found their signal caller? You know what? I think we need to see consecutive games. Let's not forget a year ago, there was a guy named Joe Milton that came on the scene for Michigan in the opener against Minnesota. And everybody got really excited. Well, guess what? Joe Milton's in Knoxville, Tennessee right now. So, uh, you know, until we see consecutive games and performances that are reminiscent of the one that we saw in their opener versus Western Michigan, I think it's fair to say that the jury's still out. I do think it's encouraging to see the performance uh, of Cade McNamara. Now, the question's really going to be, how do you replace Ronnie Bell? I think that's a bigger concern right now than the quarterback position is, which is a good problem to have because you'd rather have a concern about the wideout than you would about the quarterback. That consistency, that'll get you every time, you know? You, you, you got to have it. You got to yep. have it in the long term. Uh, still to come on College Football Live, we're going to ask this question. Will the real winner of the ACC Coastal please stand up? Round and round we go, and per the norm, where we will stop, nobody knows. And go ahead. Tell me I'm wrong. We debate some early season takeaways after a wild week one of college football. College Football Live back after this. College Football Live is presented by Buffalo Wild Wings. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back to College Football Live, presented by Buffalo Wild Wings. Stop me if you've heard this before, but we've got Coastal Chaos. That's the ACC Coastal, that is. And once again, 
Who knows? Here are the standings after week one. Virginia Tech earned its first conference win of the season with a win over UNC in their opener, while Duke, Georgia Tech, and Miami also lost their non-conference openers. Pitt and Virginia were able to find themselves in the win column. The Coastal Division is always a spin of the roulette wheel. Lugs, I'll ask you who you have your eye on this week as we make progress, forward progress, if you will. Actually, a game I'll, I'll be involved in calling, and that is Pitt as they take on Tennessee in Knoxville this weekend. There's a I know it's not a conference game, but with, with, with some of the heat that the ACC's taken off of the first weekend, where we see the Coastal sitting right now, what a great accomplishment it would be for Pat Narduzzi and the boys to go in Knoxville in a hostile environment with a veteran team come away with a W and now all of a sudden you've got tremendous momentum as you continue to head into your ACC slate. This thing's now up for grabs, Harry. This is an opportunity for Pitt to take the next step with their program, by the way, with a quarterback that feels like he's been there for 10 years. Yeah, Lugs, and I'm also going with another non-conference game. I'm going with Miami against App State. I want to see how Miami kind of comes back from getting shoved into a locker by Alabama. You're about to step <laughs> out of that locker. And, you know, App State's not necessarily as big of a bully as Alabama is by any stretch. But they're not a weak team. This is a team that's returning 17 starters. They finished 9-3 last year. They had some tough losses during the season. But this top of the Sun Belt Conference is a good handful of teams when you talk about a Coastal, when you talk about App State, and when you talk about Louisiana. So I want to see how Miami comes out against this App State team. They're strong. They're not sneaking up on anybody anymore. So how do you come out after getting battered and bruised by the Tide? Well, I, I tell you what, I had the last game that Miami played against App State and Boone, and uh, Miami wounded, <laughs> wounded the Mountaineers. But there's no question, Harry, they cannot allow Alabama to beat them twice. They better be prepared to beat App State. All right, guys, uh, we're going to play a little game now that I would never play with my family and never play with most people <laughs> anyway, and that's called Tell Me I'm Wrong, okay? Uh, I'm going to make a statement that I think you could certainly make an argument for. You tell me if I'm wrong, and we'll start with this. Alabama, guys, is as good, if not better, than they were last season. Harry, tell me I'm wrong. You're wrong, and I, I think that, honestly, oh. this is a compliment to just how great Alabama and Nick Saban are, the fact that we can even ask this question, because that was one of the all-time great teams that we saw out of Alabama last year, and obviously they came out, they just beat up Miami on Saturday. I do think that we are going to see a continually great Alabama team, right? Like, their reload and their good is better than everybody else's year in and year out. So I, I think that they could get there at some point, but we're looking at an Alabama team that just lost, I, I believe, 10 guys to the NFL draft. You talk about Devontae Smith, Mac Jones, a bunch of guys who are going to be watching on Sundays after we enjoy our college football on Saturdays. But I don't know that we're there yet. This is going to be an Alabama team that is going to look a lot more like a traditional Nick Saban Alabama team, defense first, offense second. I think if you ask this question six, seven weeks from now, Wendy, it is a yes. I would agree with Harry right now, might be a tad bit premature. Uh, maybe. I tell you what, though, I am getting tired of this whole, this is what Alabama has to replace. This is how they have to lock and load again. <laughs> but they keep they keep finding a way to do it. I mean, you know, year in and year out, regardless of uh, the many school difference between these teams. All right, uh, Luke's your turn. Iowa State's history of slow starts will continue this season. Tell me I'm wrong. You are wrong. Let's not forget, last year they like opened the game. season with the loss to Louisiana. 
then reel off three straight wins, and two of those were against TCU and Oklahoma. Listen, Iowa has Iowa State's attention. I can promise you that. Matt Campbell and this football team is too well coached to allow what happened, a lackadaisical performance a week ago, to happen two weeks in a row. Ains is going to be rocking. I think that this is an opportunity to see Iowa State at their best, and I believe Iowa knows it. This next one's a little unfair because thinking of small sample size, that's certainly where we are. But you know what? For the sake of argument, Harry, Texas is back. Tell me I'm wrong. Oh, you're wrong. I, I love asking that question, though. It's fun every single time, this is not really right? whether or not we're even ideal. close to that or not. But I, I do think that to Texas's credit, right, that win against Louisiana was not nothing. Louisiana is not only one of the best teams in the Sun Belt, but I think one of the best group of five teams that we've got in college football. Obviously, Billy Napier is one of the most coveted coaching candidates that we've got. I will say this, though. From that game on Saturday, the one thing that you wanted to see out of Steve Sarkeesian, if you are a Texas fan, is he going to get the most out of his guys? I think coming in, obviously, you want to hope that his offense is going to be the catalyst to do that. And you saw that. Now, we also saw last year that Texas is capable, despite an easy slate of games prior to the Red River game, they could lose one. Uh, I don't know necessarily that there is one on there, but they've got an easy path going there this year. Let's see if they keep it up. Well, I think Sark, without question, picked the right quarterback. Boy, Hudson Card was, was really impressive, and he'll only get better and better. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm putting forth a petition right now to eliminate the phrase, is so-and-so back? from all college football language <laughs> for every network on the planet. And here's what, and here's, here's what I'm I'll putting on. I'll sign it. Yes, there has to be a minimum of 18 games of which 15 to 16 two, two have seasons. to be won before you can apply our are we back question. So it's gone. We're wiping it off the slate. So we can't, no more Miami is back? Because that, no. that's, that's like, you know, every other week oh. I feel like, no, okay. And next Done. week, by the way, we're going to play Tell Me I'm Right. I, I live much more comfortably in that space. I think that we're we're going to switch it up. Uh, speaking, of, speaking of being right, uh, you want to be right about this, you can make yourself some cash. Who doesn't like that? Uh, our guys from the Daily Wager check in. Their best bets for week two. That's on deck next. College Football Live is presented by Buffalo Wild Wings. Two-time Super Bowl champion Eli Manning takes on his own version of his brother's signature series to explore what makes college football a way of life around the country. In this week's Heisman-themed episode, Eli talks to Joe Theismann, whose Heisman campaign led to a name change. Your third start, you're going against USC, their number one team in the country. That's a big stage for little Joey Thiesman right there. <laughs> and a young Joe Thiesman starting at quarterback. Definitely, yes. Joe's done well in the last two games, and I think he's going to do well today. The great oh, yes, Keith Jackson, he called you Thiesman. The other guy introduced you as Thiesman. There is Thiesman, number seven, six feet tall, 170 pounds, from South River, New Jersey. Was that the beginning of the name change? That's a great question, Ellie. <laughs> it really is. At first, the dual pronunciation caused some confusion, but no matter how you said it, the skinny kid from New Jersey could play. Notre Dame's well-conceived game plan needs occasional ad-lib, and the scrambling number seven provides the punchline. At the time, Notre Dame had six Heisman winners. 
twice as many as any other school. Sports Information Director Roger Baldessari came up with a novel idea to make Joe the seventh. He called me in the office. He said, Joe, I want to tell you something. There's a trophy out there called the Heisman Trophy. We think you have a chance to win that trophy. We think that by simply changing the pronunciation of your last name from Thiesman to Thiesman to rhyme with Heisman, we can get you that trophy. How did your parents and your family kind of... Well, anytime I go back to Jersey, it's Thiesman. We used to play the Giants in Giant Stadium. You'd sit on the bench and I'd have friends of mine up there and they'd be on, hey, Joey Thiesman, you changed your name. You gave us all up. We hate you. And it's like, I'm going, Dad, I'm sorry. I didn't really mean to do that. Eli's Place is streaming exclusively on ESPN+. Scheduling alert Saturday afternoon, our ABC College Football triple, he triple header highlighted by number 10 Iowa at number 9 Iowa State. Then it's to the big house Saturday night football presented by Capital One. The Wolverines host Washington, and you can always watch all the games on the ESPN app. One app, one tap. As for the best bets of the week, here are our friends from Daily Wager. Welcome into the set of Daily Wager here on the Las Vegas Strip. I'm Doug Kazarian alongside Tyler Fulgham. Now, week two always interesting based on what the thought process and the power <laughs> ratings were for week one and then some results. We'll see what the verdict is in week two as we move on to the season. For that, we bring in Chris Felica, the Bear. All right, Bear, which week two line stands out the most? Uh, Washington's loss to Montana certainly wasn't well received by Washington fans, but for, for betters and handicappers, it's great. Because you're getting about five or five and a half extra points than you would have uh, at the big house this week prior to that game. Look, Washington's defense, I think, is going to make the running game very uh, problematic on, on the Michigan side of the ball. Cade McNamara is going to have to throw a little bit more without his best receiver, Ronnie Bell. Remember, this is a Michigan team that's lost six of its last eight games against Power 5 teams. If Washington can eliminate those three turnovers that they had in the loss to Montana. I think they had a great chance to win, but I will absolutely take the Huskies plus six and a half. All right, good stuff. What about you? I'll be a betting bully and pick on the Kansas Jayhawks. Surprise, surprise. They squeaked by South Dakota in their home opener. A late touchdown gave them a 17-14 to victory. They were outgained in that game by South Dakota. Now they travel to Coastal Carolina, a ranked team who needs style points and just blew the doors off of the Citadel. Remember last year, Coastal Carolina went to Lawrence and beat the Jayhawks as an underdog. They're a great team, and I think they'll prove that again, even laying 25-and-a-half against Kansas. All right, so the Missouri grad picking on Kansas. Shocker. Uh, I'm going to go to the Buffalo program, which obviously has that connection with the Jayhawks. Sure. Uh, I'm going to lay it with, with Nebraska, kind of like what Bear was talking about earlier, just overreacting to one game. We know the Huskers lost to Illinois in their season opener. Got back on track last week, albeit against a weak opponent. But I'm not going to give Buffalo too much credit for pounding Wagner <laughs> as a huge favorite in the 40s or something like that. This number is cheap, under two touchdowns. It would be closer to 20, probably north of 20, had Nebraska won that season over. So I think over the long haul value here, playing the 13 half, maybe Martinez got back on track last week, two rushing, one throwing touchdown as well. Week one certainly didn't disappoint. Looking ahead to week two, you can catch the Bear, by the way, and the whole game day crew in Ames, Iowa on Saturday, Iowa and Iowa State. Fellas, let's do it again tomorrow, shall we? We'll see you then.